So I want to talk about marked moments with God, special times, events when God showed up in my life. And uh, how he was moving upon me. I was born in 1949. I'm 74 years old. I'm a young man. I feel young. Mm -hmm. But in 1955, I started school. When we started school, when I started school, it was a one-room school. Never had over 30 students in it at any one time, eight grades. But we started school every, every morning with devotion. And in devotion, you had to remember, memorize scriptures. And we would start with a letter. You know, we'd go all the way through the alphabet. So one morning, you start with the letter A. Every student had to quote a, vo vo uh, quote a verse that started with the letter A. So the older students, when you started, helped with the younger students. And they would help teach them how to go into the Bible and find a, a verse that would start with the letter uh, for that day. If you did not have your Bible verse that morning, you either got a spanking or you didn't get recess. We said we started out with a song, down by the riverside, you know, some kind of song. We'd have a, a, a Christian song every, every morning. And then we would pray what most people know is, or is called the Lord's Prayer. And from there, that I was introduced to God in a public setting. I would hear my mother talk about God, hear my father talk about God, and at that time we didn't go to church. And so we just knew that was a way of life. Our teacher was a Methodist lady, but man, she was on fire. Woo! And she would set your hiney on fire if you ever messed up. <laughs> So, in the 19, 1958, I publicly professed Jesus as my Lord. I was about nine years old. And I remember hearing the preacher preach. And I'd ask, that whole week we had revival. And I asked my mother, you know, Mama, I feel like, am I supposed to go down there? She said, it's whatever you feel. Well, Mama, I kind of feel like I'm supposed to go down there, but... I'm scared. She said, well, I can't go for you. She said, it's a decision, it's a choice you have to make. And uh, I said, Mom, who is this man, Jesus? She said, my mother was just so filled with love and joy. She made Jesus like sitting right beside you when she talked. 
1960s, I encountered TV preachers. And TV preachers, I had, we were the first family in our neighborhood, in our area, to have a television. That was because my dad was a serviceman and he worked at, for the company Chestnut Salter Best in Danville. And they brought in the first televisions. Well, my dad was able to buy one on time. You know, they took a little bit out of his check every week. He brought that TV home and had Clyde came and set it up for us. And on Sunday mornings, we didn't go to church at that particular time. Sunday mornings, Daddy would turn on the TV. Oral Roberts would be on. Something good is going to happen to you today. <laughs> and then Catherine Kuhlman would come on shortly after, and she would like, I believe in miracles. <laughs> it's like, what? Is she an angel or what? <laughs> but you know, Catherine Kuhlman was uh, one of the first, I think, uh, she was in healing ministry. And uh, Oral Roberts was too. And he did big tents, tent meetings, camp meetings and all that. And along with a bunch of other preachers that were going around at that particular time. But those were the ones I was introduced to. Then we have Billy Graham on television, the evangelist, okay? So I'm getting hit with God from first grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. Our teacher says, this is in the 1963, racial integration is starting. There's a lot of unrest, a lot of uncertainty. And our teacher says to us, only black students in the room, you're going to face a difficult time. It's going to be hard. And she talked to each one of us individually. Isaac, you're slow. Okay. You're going to have to work extra hard. Okay. You have to work harder to get it than some of the other students. And she said all this stuff in front of everybody else, but everybody knew anyway. <laughs> I said, like, he's dumb. <laughs> he's slow. <laughs> so when she said that, it kind of put a fear in us. Because she said, now we're going to be going to the white schools. That's the way she said it. And then we're seeing everything that's happening on television. We're seeing all of this stuff. We're seeing the dogs biting people in marches and policemen beating on people and all that kind of thing. We saw all that. So I didn't know what to expect going to school in this white school. Now, it's 1963. It wasn't compulsory for you to go to the white school that year. But in 1964, it was going to be mandatory. My mother was on the board for helping to 
implement the high school, the transition of students from going in from wherever they came from into the high school. Basically, they wanted to know <clears throat> the culture, the standards, whatever it would take to help uh, uh, the black students to adjust coming in. Long story short, the first day of school, I remembered, you know, I'm scared. I don't know what to face. I don't know what I'll be facing. I don't know who I'll be facing. I don't know what's going to be said. I don't know what's going to be done. And then the Gideons used to bring us Bibles to this one room school every year or every two years. And we'd put those Bibles and we'd read them. That's how we got our scriptures during the morning. So every student had a Bible. I remember that morning I put my Bible in my back pocket. And I pulled out my Bible and I opened it up and it fell to the New Testament. And I read the scripture, have faith in God. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but believe those things that he saith. He shall have whatsoever he says. I quoted that scripture, and I held on to it tight in my heart, and I put it back in my back, my back pocket every morning. That was my, that was my go-to. That was the only scripture I knew. That was the only, and I, would, I wanted to remember where that scripture was, Mark 11, 22, 23, 24. So going into high school, man, we were called names, of course. There's four, four black students among 500 that first year. So up and down the hall, we got called names. You couldn't fight everybody. So I didn't even try. My mother was going to whip me if I did. <laughs> but, you know, God, that scripture didn't stop there. We got through all that. I mean, it, it took a while, but, it, you know, after the fourth year and hearing my guidance counselor say, you're not going to college you only making C's. Here comes Mark 11, 22. Have faith in God. Now, another little story behind that is that during, from elementary school to high school, we could see mama's faith in action. And when she went, she would go to We'd go to what we call go to town. We'd go to Danville. We lived out in the country about eight miles away, a place called Alamo Springs. Mama says, well, we're going up here and pay the bill. Good year. I said, wait a minute, Mama. I heard you say you don't have no money. She said, yeah. She said, I said, well, why are we going to try to pay a bill? Why are you going to Goodyear if you don't have the money? 
She said, all I know is we're going to pay the bill. So we're walking up the street, and all of a sudden the wind blows, and here comes a $20 bill. <laughs> Mama said, thank you, Lord. <laughs> Walks in, pays the bill. Another time, my mother says, uh, well, we got to go up here to uh, Robinson Paint Store, and I don't have enough money to pay the bill today. So we're walking across a, a gravel driveway in front of Southern States in Danville, and lo and behold, she looks down. Thank you, Lord, $20 bill. Goes in and pays them. Now, I didn't, I don't remember this, but my sister told me there was a third time that happened. And I said, Wow, Mama, how do you do that? Now, <laughs> get this I'm accepted into school, into college, Eastern, at Eastern. And uh, I, uh, we're poor. We're rich, but we're poor, you know. We're rich in God, you know. We're rich in love and rich in family and all that. And never had to worry, never had to, I didn't know we were poor until I needed money to go to school. <laughs> so anyway, that happened. One day we were walking you know, on Main Street in Danville, and there was a big sign stretched across Main Street. Go to Farmers National Bank. You can get your student loans to go to college. I was looked up and I said, Mama, look. I said, we can go to the bank and get our money. She said, we ain't going to no bank. I said, but Mama, how am I going to go to school and I don't have no money? She said, Lord, make a way. I'm like, huh? Okay. So it comes time to go to school. Mom and Daddy drive me over to Eastern on Sunday, drop me off, wait by. On, you know, Monday we have uh, that freshman week where, you know, we're getting used to stuff. Then that next week we're going to enroll in classes. Come at Monday, I said, Mama, where are we going to get the money? She said, I don't know. She said, don't worry about it. You'll have it. So I'm going through registration. While going through registration, you know, I'm signing up for my this class, this class, all the basic freshman classes. And then there's a little diverted line here that takes you over to pay. Then you can, others can go this way. So I got ready to go in this line. They said, no, you come over here. So, you're Isaac Fry. They have my paper. You're Isaac Fry, yes. Well, we have a NDSL, National Student Defense Loan, for you. And it'll pay for all your books. It'll pay for your registration. It'll pay for your room. 
I ran out of that place. I called Mama. Mama! <laughs> yeah! It took me five years to graduate. Long story in between, but, you know, things, life happens to you. Yeah. I mean, some tragic things happened to me that affected me emotionally, psychologically. Lost an aunt, lost a girlfriend, girl I was going to marry. She turned me down for somebody else. I mean, I had life planned out. I thought that life was supposed to go the way I thought it was supposed to be. Nobody told me that there would be mountains. Nobody told me that there would be people that didn't like you. Nobody told me that there would be situations that would arise. And I didn't understand the word about faith. But when I got through college that last year, 1972, I thought I was in love, got married. 1972, May, I graduated. 1972, May, the last day of my student teaching, my supervisor comes in at Ball County High School and says, they're hiring teachers down in Lebanon, Kentucky. So why don't you go down and put an application in? I said, okay. I drove down that same day, got my interview, application interview. Before May 30th came, Mr. Whitehouse, director of hiring whatever employment of Marion County Schools, was sitting on my front porch. We have a job for you, Mr. Fry. I had that job with them for 28 years. God supplied my need. Before the end of that year, 1972, I got married in August. 1973, on July, my wife's birthday month, I had my first child, daughter, Felicia. She just called me two or three weeks ago, told me she had the same kind of cancer that I had. I started telling her, and I said, look, that's not yours. And I started quoting the word to her. Huh, surely, he hath borne our sicknesses, our disease. He's carried our sorrows. We did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, that the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we were healed. Between 73, 79, 80, I have four children. I was married to that lady for 22 years. Her sister goes to church here, Benita. I don't think she's here this morning, but she belongs to church here. And, uh, oh, in 1993, 94, we divorced. I was married 
22 years. I went through two more marriages and divorce. 22 years, 12 years, five, five years. Then miracle happened. <laughs> Sherry came. Now we've been almost married, what, almost six years, yeah. I got it. <laughs> we've been married almost six years. And uh, oh, it started out real rough. I tell you, the woman can't talk. She could cuss too. <laughs> oh, she, she wasn't that bad, but I never I've not been used to any kind of thing like that before. And I look and I told her before we got married, I said, look, we're not gonna live together. I said, we will be married if we're gonna continue this relationship and we're gonna find us a church. And the church she picked out, of course I already knew, but I wanted her to have say so, was here. I pastored three different churches, one in Marble Creek Baptist Church over in Jessman County, another one over in Davistown. They kicked me out of Davistown. I was happy. Because in 1975, I got filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm driving, I'm pastoring Marble Creek Baptist Church. I'm driving down the highway. I'm tired of just going through the motions. I'm tired of just living life and just humdrum. I'm tired of people wanting me to preach what they want me to preach. And don't you know the Holy Ghost? I said, Lord, there's got to be something more. I'm driving 30-some miles to Lebanon, Kentucky from Danville to, to teach that morning. And on the worst road, Highway 68, I get filled with the Holy Ghost. <laughs> I got, I mean, tell you, when I got out of the car, Alan Lanham, he was standing there, and I started walking over toward him, and I started preaching to him. I said, you know, God is good. He said, man, I don't know what you got, but I want some of it too. You know, I got to get off this track. <laughs> but, no, I can't, I can't leave it. You're right, Pastor. Can't leave it. I talk about, you know, those three marriages and pastoring different churches. I was gifted. I could sing. I love singing. Oh, don't they do a fantastic job up here? I was a worship leader. And I know what it stand, what it meant to come into what we call what practice. And we would go before God. On a Saturday morning, we would walk in to prepare and to practice at two, three o'clock, we might be coming out. 
Why? Because we were in a, hard to describe, but we were in a move of God where the Holy Spirit would come in and he would take over the worship. And we would go before the people on Sunday morning. This was a faith fellowship in Danville. We would go before the people on Sunday morning and they rejected what God was doing. When you reject God, you reject your lifeline, your valuableness of everything you're going to need. But you know, we were ahead of our time. And you can't force people. You can't make them do what they don't want to do. So that was a hard time, but we stayed faithful to that. And then, you know, we saw these larger groups coming up at that particular time, worship groups and stuff. But, you know, praise and worship doesn't take the place of the word of God. But they sure go hand in hand. The anointing that comes through. And when the flow of the Holy Spirit works with the word, prepares the way and prepares the hearts so the seed can be sown. It's funny, when Pastor was up here teaching, I said, between him, Elder Mark, Pastor Stephanie, I said, I can't get a word in. I said, everything I think I could preach, they're doing it. <laughs> so this morning, I, I was going to ask, I was going to say to you, you know, you can sow. You can sow to your mind. You can sow to your emotions. You know, you can sow to your soul, your mind, will, and emotions. You can sow physically to your body. You can sow to your finances. Well, I don't have to say it because Pastor already said it. <laughs> In 2016, I came to the end of my rope. I came to the end of me. We, I met Sherry. But God, big change took place in my life when Sharon and I got married. Of course, when you know things are going well, warfare comes. But I'm seeking truth now. And I'm seeking a change in my life. Before I said I was gifted, but you need more than gifting that will take you through life. If you're going to serve God, you need more than gifting. God wants to develop something in you. It's called character. Character will carry your gifting. When you stand on a foundation of character, no matter what hits, you'll be able to stand. Because see, you're, you're not standing on your on what mama said. You're not standing on what 
the preachers just said, but you're standing on what you have placed, what God has placed on the inside of you, the faith that's on the inside of you that's been building and building and building, and there's something that says, I won't give up, I won't let go, I will not quit. So I had to learn that, and, I, and that, that character building started here through the wisdom of the pastors and leadership. They know how to handle. They know how to listen to God. And there was times I thought, I ain't even supposed to be in this church, let alone be up here preaching. Huh. I didn't even think I was ever going to do anything for God again. Because I have failure after failure after failure. But you know, every single person in this room, believer, non-believer, God puts something on the inside of you. God created you. It doesn't matter if you're an addict. It doesn't matter if you're an alcoholic. It doesn't matter if you're homeless. It doesn't matter if you're uneducated. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. God made you. He put something on the inside of you. He's put greatness, the possibility of greatness to flow in you. He put it there because he knew what he wanted to come out of you. Oh, now, I don't know if y'all got the word. Ooh, I didn't even know that was up there. Uh, Genesis 126. And God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Man, Female, God created he them. He made us with a purpose in mind. God has intention. He's a God of intention. He's intentional. The devil is intentional. What does that mean? That means you and I have to be intentional. We have a purpose. Every single person that's a member of this church, you didn't get here by accident. Every visitor, you didn't come here by accident. God puts something on the inside of you and he's trying to draw you into yourself. He's trying to draw you into you. 
I got to move real quick here. He said, let them have complete authority. Sorry. Y'all remember when Coy Baker was here, Dr. Baker? Barker, Barker. He made a statement one night that there is an, there's something new happening in the kingdom of God. Oh, I didn't bring a little book. I got my journal here. I wrote that in the journal. The second thing was is, is never discount the value of a human soul. Because God, never discount the value of that human life that's on the inside of you. It's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be mighty. You think your husband is a preacher? You ain't seen nothing yet. Ooh, fight for that child. You don't let go. You hold her, him, he, her, whatever but you hold it. You speak over that child. You speak the word over that child. Don't let go. I don't care what the enemy says or tries to do. Don't let go. <laughs> Psalm 31, uh, 139, 16. You said... God did an operation on you. I remember one Sunday morning I was preaching and I was telling the people. And I said, there was a table up on the, up on the platform. I said, God laid your spirit out on that table. He said, you're going to need some of this. You're going to need some joy. I need a lot of grace. He said, but I need to put some fight in there. God put everything that that spirit is going to need throughout life. Every single thing. I said God's intentional. God's purposeful. He made you. He knew you. He knows you. He knows your beginning. He knows the end of the physical life. But once you start with God, you're with him forever, eternally. But he knows what you need to make it through in this earth, in this life. Then he knows what you're going to need to do in eternity. Because when this body's gone... You ain't gone. You're just moving from this physical world, this earthly realm, into the spiritual realm. This morning I come up, I, got, I was so drunk, and so that's why I'm, I'm having such a hard time getting my balance this morning. I'm talking about my mental balance. 
because the anointing is so strong. So you have to balance yourself out so that God, the Holy Spirit, can work through you to get the message to you. I never saw a child when I was teaching in 28 years, I never saw a child that was a failure. Sometimes my students, my, my, my kids, I don't hear from them. I got thousands of kids that I taught over 28 years. And they'll call, they'll send a, a note, a message on Facebook, Mr. Fry, you were my favorite teacher. Me? One day I was in E-Town, Elizabethtown, and I walk into a Kentucky Fried Chicken. I'm standing behind this young black guy. And so when I got ready to order, he heard my voice. And he said, Mr. Fry, Coach Fry. See, I, I coach too. Coach football and track and field, basketball, but I was a lousy basketball coach. <laughs> well, the little school I went to, we didn't have nice big gym floors. And we hit the ball and we'd been bouncing it on mud. So I didn't know nothing about basketball, but I didn't, I love to, I love to, to get tackled and I love to tackle people. I, that was me. <laughs> so run, running was natural. But these kids will contact me now, some of them 40 years old. Coach Fry, you helped me. You were like a dad to me. You were my favorite teacher. And I'd be on the bus sometimes with my track kids, and they'd say, Mr. Fry, I said, what? Coach Fry, I said, what? Preach to us. Because sometimes at track practice, I'd just stop track practice, and I'd start prophesying. I didn't know what I was doing at that time, but I was prophesying to them. Tell them they were going to do great things. Tell them if you believe in yourself, if you trust God, he will help make you strong. He will help you in your event. He will show you exactly what to do. I didn't know I was preparing them for life. And their words mean so much to me. I got a letter from one girl. She said, do you know I'm working in Washington, D.C.? I worked for another, another, another I got a uh, Facebook message from a young man. He said, are you the Coach Fry? that worked at Marion County High School? I said, yeah. He said, I was in battle one day over in Iraq. We were being shelled. Bullets were flying over our heads, and I didn't know which way to turn. He says that happened over and over, day and night, day and night. And he said, I got tired of hearing the shells. I got tired of hearing the bombs. He said, I just wanted to let go and give up. And just stand up and let whatever happened, happen. And then he said, but then I heard your voice, don't quit. (laughs) 
talking about the value of a human soul. But as perceived by God. Because he created you within purpose and he created you with intention. He designed you to handle more than you th could ever ask or think. He put greatness on the inside of you. He put love on the inside of you. He said, I can't love nobody. How much time I got? <laughs> Tell me, wife. How much? I, five minutes. I'm sorry, I, I, I've done a lousy job. <laughs> Holy Spirit's done a great job. <laughs> I thought I was going to I cut out five pages already. <laughs> Let me tell you, non-believers, God made you. He didn't hold anything back from you just like he didn't hold anything back from the believers. But you have a choice to make. You need to be hooked up to the Lord. See, right now you're living in the world. You're living for the devil. He's in control of your life. God put some value on the inside of you, but that value can't be released until you ask Jesus to come into your life. Until you desire and want him into, in your life. You said, but I'm, but pastor, uh, well, I don't know why I said pastor. I ain't no, no pastor. I'm living good. I'm making good money. I got a nice house. I drive a nice van, a nice car, truck. I got good kids. Yeah, but see, you're living under what's called common grace. You're living under what all of us are living under. But we as Christians... We have amazing grace. We have the capacity to love. Your capacity is real short. Because see what we got, remember that scripture up there and we were made in his likeness. Now we have the likeness ability to love like God loves, to, to forgive our enemies and to love our enemies and to see the good in every single person, to see what possibilities and what capacities they may have. They got a hope and they got a future. And it takes the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. 
and you don't have that peace. I'm talking about a peace that will take you through cancer. I'm talking about a peace that will take you off the operating table. I'm talking about a peace that when you're fired, you know God's got your back. You know God's got you covered. People will fail you. Jobs will fail you. Money will leave you. Your hope is cut short. But God, but God, but God, who is rich in mercy, who's rich in love, will take you, will carry you. Adam and Eve failed to value God's word. Adam and Eve failed to remember God's love. Adam and Eve failed to remember the relationship they had with God. The life. Everything that he placed on the inside of them. Everything he gave. God so loved the world that he gave. I was going to say something about the woman of the well, at the well. Uh, I'll just go ahead and say it anyway. Those of you that know the story, you'll get it. The woman at the well valued the Messiah. She valued the Christ. She valued his presence. She valued his word. She repented. She dropped her focus. So you need to have a focus of worship. Your focus needs to be on him. As I put my focus on him, everything else gets small. Everything else gets easier. She repented. She dropped her focus on her five husbands. I had to drop my focus on my failures. You have to drop your focus on your failures, on all your riches, on all your good things. You have to drop that. You need to focus on him. Jacob's well, she dropped her traditions. She dropped racial division. She dropped religion. She dropped religious pride. She, she dropped her buckets of water. And she took up the living water. She received the gift of water springing up on the inside of her. She valued it so much that she gave. God gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. 
Jesus gave himself up on the cross, sacrificed himself. He, when he rose from the dead and he came back, he gave his authority. She valued, this woman valued so much that she gave a word to the people, to the town. She invited them to the town. She invited uh, the townsfolk to come see a man. She didn't keep it to herself. When God gives you something, don't hold on to it selfishly, but pass it. Give it. Let it out. Sow it. Sow it. Sow. Sow. saw a change in her soul because she had value. Everyone in this room, whether you're on Zoom or whether you're a believer or non-believer, God's placed something valuable on the inside of you. You have something great on the inside of you to give to others. You know what we do the, for the city? You're sowing. Do it on purpose. Do it on purpose. Do it with intention. Get involved. Hell, it's gonna come back to you. Woo! It's coming back to you quicker than you can give it. God will fill you. God will bless you. God will cause you to lose yourself in your giving. Ooh.